this past uh, August, you might remember, uh, Josh took a, a moment to talk about Thanksgiving in August, and so I thought it was fair that we would talk for a moment about Christmas in September. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that would consider themselves a Christmas fanatic. Anybody here that really loves the holidays, enjoys it, looks forward to it? I, um, I know on our, our staff, uh, Stephanie Ross, if you've met Stephanie, one of our office managers, she would be one of those people you describe as a Christmas fanatic. In fact, if you see the back of her car, she still has Christmas lights across the back of it. I asked her the other day, because I had heard or remembered that she was able to do this, I asked her, how many days until Christmas? And she gave me to the day, she's like, oh, it's 102 days, like right off the top of her head. I'm like, are you serious? Then she came back like 15 minutes later, she's like, Scott, so sorry, it's 101 days. I was like, oh, I guess I need to take you out of the illustration. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, there's, there's people like that. In fact, my family... On vacation, we go to Ocean City, New Jersey. I don't know if you've ever been there, uh, but they have this boardwalk, and one of the shops there, a huge shop, is a Christmas shop, and we usually go like mid-July, and it's so strange to me, in the middle of July, that place is packed. Anybody here shop for ornaments in July? Uh, Not me, but what I'd suggest, rightfully so, because it's something that's worth being celebrated, right? What is, what is the, the, the focus of Christmas? Obvious is the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, which means, who can tell me that? God with us, which is noteworthy. God, the creator of the universe, made the choice to come down, to dwell amongst his pride possession, amongst his people, to live amongst us. That's pretty awesome thing. Shed the glory of heaven, walked a perfect life, died on a cruel Roman cross with the effort of restoring the broken relationship that we had because of our sin. He had that choice. He came down, live amongst us. But really, if you think about that, that was really phase one of his ultimate intention. Like phase one, are you saying it's not complete? No, it was just part, part one. God with us was part one. God in us is part two. God with us is part one. That's a huge deal. Jesus Christ coming down to live amongst his people. Part two is what we're celebrating this morning in the study of Acts is his arrival not just to be with us, but literally in us. He wasn't content with a casual relationship with a, hey, how you been? I'm doing good. How are you been? It's been a while, huh? Yeah, it has been a while. Like, no, that's not what he wants. His desire was literally to come and set up camp inside of those who embraced him as Lord and Savior. That's what we're celebrating. We're going to spend some time in Acts 2 talking about this grand entrance in a moment after I pray. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together in your house and already celebrating you appropriately through song. You're so good, so faithful. We praise you for your countless ways you provide for us and care for us and love us. And evidence even this morning in this text, the fact that you weren't content with just being amongst us. You wanted to literally live in us. We thank you for that. I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd expand even our understanding of your design that we might fully enjoy the benefits of Christ in us. God, teach us, we pray, that I would be small, you'd be great, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, if you could help me out by turning to Acts chapter 2, 
By way of uh, looking back, you might remember a lot of what I talked about last week was this promised coming Holy Spirit. It was something to be looked forward to as something worth the wait, you might remember was our title of last week. Well, this week, it's actually starting to happen in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says this, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I want to stop there just for a moment to give a, a little backdrop. First off, on, on Pentecost. Some of you might not know much about Pentecost. Pentecost, the word actually means 50. Pentecost was one of the high Jewish holidays. In fact, they had three different holidays in the course of a year that was expected for Jewish men within 20 miles of Jerusalem to come to the city to celebrate. Those would have been Passover, that's an obvious one. Pentecost would be the second one. And then Feast of Booths. I uh, pronounced that on Thursday night and somebody told me afterwards, tell me about this Feast of Booths as one of the high holidays. And uh, Booths... uh, Booths, T-H on the end there. And uh, what would happen is this city of Jerusalem, which had a a population of about 50,000 during these high holidays, that would increase to as many as a half million people. Can you imagine the small city all of a sudden packed with people, devout believers that were coming to celebrate this feast? And what the, the feast was actually taking time to celebrate was 50 days After they had been set free out of Egypt, they were brought to a certain mountain called Mount Sinai. And who can tell me what was given to them at Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. So this was the arrival of the law, the the, the path that they were intended to walk on. And so the way that they celebrated is they brought their first fruits of the harvest. And it really was transitioning from one season of harvest to the next season of harvest. They brought their first fruits to celebrate the law that had given for their purity, which is pretty interesting, that Jesus, the symbolism here, was coming in the form of the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of a believer's inheritance to transition the covenant from no longer being their efforts at good works, but Jesus Christ's finished work of perfect work of his life here on earth. So lots to point at. It says that they're gathered all together. Kind of a neat picture of them all being packed into this small space. You imagine if it's 120 of them we saw in the first section there, 120, it says in this upper room, and uh, we don't know that might have been the entire roof of a a large room, but first off, I acknowledge that uh, anytime all believers are all together, that, that's a good thing, right? They're, they're all, remember, in one accord, packed in a Honda, and, uh, and so, sorry, that was a bad joke last week, but... Um, I was thinking about that. The church isn't always real great at being all together. That's not what we're unfortunately known for. Although some encouraging thing, I was just this week on, uh, on Thursday morning was together with 15 different pastors from the area here in the Conejo Valley, all praying over this uh, community. So I love seeing little glimpses of God working even in, in our area towards that together factor. It says they are in one place. There suddenly, and it says, suddenly there came. Suddenly there came. So even though they were told that the Holy Spirit was going to come, there's no way that they could have been prepared for the manner, the grand entrance that was about to happen. What does it say in the text is the first thing that you notice, uh, the way in which he came. 
It says, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Sound like a mighty rushing wind. If you've talked to anyone in Florida or the, uh, down south in the last couple of weeks, they had a little glimpse of that. I was trying to picture in my mind what that would have been like. Here's a little sound bite from Irma from just last week. Take a listen to this mighty rushing wind. that sound outside your window for hours and hours and hours, but that's a picture of what maybe this sound was like. And notice he uses the word like because he describes it being from heaven. There's certain things that are supernatural that you can give earthly comparisons, but man, I don't know what it was pointing to. I would suggest pretty epic feeling of a wind or sound of the wind rushing throughout the entire house as it sounds, the last thing in that section I wanted to point to is what does it say that they're doing when this happens? They're sitting. They're sitting. So they're not doing anything to induce this. They're not on their knees in prayer. They're not bending in knee. They're, they're literally just sitting, hanging out. And I love this as a, as a picture of the way that our God operates. He initiates. We just respond. This is another case where he initiated a relationship with us. He brought the heavens down. He literally came to set up camp. It wasn't something that we induced. Take a look in verse 3 as it continues. It says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pause there for a second. Sometimes you can read scripture and be so numb from having heard it over the years, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's this rushing wind, and then there's some flames over their head. Like, are you serious? Like, can, can you picture this? Like, imagine in this room if all of a sudden there's a, just a big old flame. Look at the person next to you. Imagine a flame over their melon right now, what that would have been like. I, I don't know if there's any fire starers in the room. Anybody in a campfire just find themselves just like staring at? Like, that, that would have been unbelievable. Unbelievable. All of a sudden, this room that was already crowded to have fire above all of them, and this, this sound of rushing wind, this was not a subtle entrance. Sometimes we think of Pentecost as like, yeah, they're all quiet in the upper room, and they came, and only a few saw it. No, no not at all. He says, then, then after that, I love it that this was something that, that uh, John the Baptist has even predicted. He says that the, that the one that would follow him would uh, baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. Kind of cool to see that come to fruition. And again, as of fire, a comparison to make sense out of the supernatural. But it does say something important for us to catch is that all were filled. Every single one of them. This wasn't the first time that they all of a sudden believed. These were already believers. This was the grand entrance of the Holy Spirit coming to dwell within his people. But this is not something we're waiting for him to recreate. So if you're sitting back and you're like, man, when are those flaming tongues going to arrive in the Christian life? I, I'm just, that, that's not the point here. This was a one-time occurrence, 
not the norm. Are we tracking with me there? So this was when he first made his grand entrance. We believe that scripture teaches that at the point of salvation, when somebody has made the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he literally at that moment comes and resides within that believer. Does that make sense? Here's a couple passages to point to that because I believe it's actually a confusing thing for some. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, you might be familiar with this, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The reason I bring that up, that we're baptized into one spirit, is not some baptized and others waiting on it. No, all are baptized. Romans 8, 9 tells us, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So you can't be a true believer without the Spirit. One, they're they're, they're uh, together in that. Ephesians 1.13, which I think is also crystal clear on this subject. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, heard truth presented, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, this is, a, this is one of those things that is uh, sometimes debated as if those are separate occurrences. I would suggest, uh, based on our study of Scripture, that it's a, at a one-time, one uh, event. Uh, and some confusion, though, I was looking into this, uh, why people believe maybe differently is because other places, like, uh, for instance, Galatians 5.16, tells us that we're to be walking, I'm sorry, w- walking in the, the Spirit, or Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be filled with the Spirit. So it's this idea of you're like, wait, am I filled? Am I not? Which, which has happened? You see, in a believer's life, it's expected that we're continually filled, not continually baptized. It's the act of walking in the Spirit is a continual submitting our lives over to Him, whether it's through uh, fanning the flame through worship or the study of, uh, of His Word or through diving into prayer or whether it's a uh, confession of sins. There's different things that allow us to fan that flame and walk in the Spirit. I point that out because it can be, unfortunately, a, a, a reason for division, but I would suggest regardless of where you stand on when and how he arrives in the believer's life, we still can agree on that the Holy Spirit is key in the life of a believer, and literally we can still be friends if you think otherwise. He points then, he says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is another topic that makes us a little nervous. Uh, oh, we're in church. We're talking about tongues. Wait a second. But here, let me simplify this a little bit. The word tongues here literally is the word glossia, which means languages. So when it's talking about speaking in tongues, he's saying they were speaking in all kinds of languages, not referring to ecstatic speech that couldn't be understood, literally speaking in languages that were known. We're going to see more of that in a moment here. Basically, what happened was God, in his grand entrance, decides to have the audience, his first audience that's receiving the Holy Spirit, to speak in a language that everybody that was about to gather could understand. Pretty cool. Somebody this week on our staff was pointing out, they said, you know, it's kind of the reverse of the Tower of Babel. Remember that story? 
Remember that story when, when man was trying to reach up to God and under human effort was building this massive tower? How did God respond? He confused all their languages. He made it complete chaos. So when man's building his kingdom, language goes all kinds of crazy directions. When God's building his kingdom, all of a sudden languages are united. It tells us something about the, the character of our God. He's, one, he, he's an inclusive God. He wants all people of all tribes, all nations to be united in worshiping him. And look what they're united in speaking. They're united in speaking about the glory of God, his, all of his works. I love this as a fulfillment of Isaiah 66, 18 it's, that says, The time is coming to gather all nations in tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory and I will set a sign among them. Pretty powerful. Look at verse 5 as it continues how this plays out. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Remember we talked about that coming from being dispersed all over the place? And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, I'm sure I butchered that, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of uh, Libya uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues what? The mighty works of God. Pretty powerful scene here. You imagine being present there and what, what's it pointing to? It says uh, from, people there from literally every single nation. And we learn later that 3,000 were saved amongst this. So if 3,000 are saved, I mean, this is a massive, when it uses the word multitude, this is a huge, huge crowd that's gathered. And I love it, it says they're drawn because they, they heard something, the, the rushing wind most likely drawing them to find out what in the world's going in this, on in this house. So they show up, they show up to find out what's going on, and they start what? Hearing it all in their language. They're like, what in the world? How does this work? And I, I love that they point out to this. It says, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Here's a little interesting side note. Galileans were kind of considered like country bumpkins. So this was like, this was like your, this was like your uh, uncle with three teeth that can all of a sudden speak like French fluently. You're like, what in the world? Are you kidding me? Maybe that's a bad example. But uh, you, you, you get the idea. This, is, this, this was a phenomenon. This is the city folks saying, where are these people that are genuinely, generally considered uneducated, untrained? Literally, they're speaking all of our languages and speaking of the glory of God. Talk about a grand entrance. And then they list, and I love that he chooses to list all the different cities because sometimes we can just think of this as, uh, some people will say, oh, this is just symbolic, or this is, like, no, these were literally cities. You guys want to hear just briefly where those are present day? The Parthians uh, would be present day Iran, the Medes, portions of Turkey, uh, Elamites, portion of Iran present day, Mesopotamia, Iraq, Judea, the southern portion of Israel, Cappadocia, Turkey, Pontus, Turkey, 
Asia, present-day Turkey, lots of Turkey. Pamphylia, also Turkey. Egypt, guess where that's at today? Nice job. All right. Uh, Egypt, Libya in North Africa. Cyrene, also North Africa. Rome, also in... Nice, nice. We got a sharp group of Cretans were from the island of Crete, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, believed. You see, all of the present known world had gathered because Israel had been dispersed during Roman rule. And so they're all over, but they come back for these high feasts. And God's like, you know what? That's the perfect time for me to do my grand entrance. And it's going to be epic. There's going to be wind. There's going to be fire. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. No, I don't know if it was that. But you, you, you imagine this would have been an epic experience for all involved. But we wait to see how will they respond. When they're, when, how, how will folks respond to this? Verse 12, and we'll end with verse 13 here. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? Look at verse 13. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. They're filled with new wine. I find that interesting because there's something about certain folks. It doesn't matter how much of God's glory they're exposed to. They still come up with some kind of silly excuse why it's not him. I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, I don't know if either a uh, early morning that you've been a part of or an early evening, I feel like we've had some pretty epic sunrises and sunsets. Anybody else capture that? The other morning I, I was driving early and I uh, was driving in, I was just going on this on-ramp and it came up to just this majestic sky. And uh, maybe this isn't safe, but I'm scrambling to grab my phone to ca- capture a picture of this. Anybody else do this? confession time we're in church and uh and I, i'm taking this picture and then I, I didn't get a chance to look at it then but i i pulled up later and guess what it was lame it didn't look that great you see the picture and it's like that doesn't do it justice but when you actually open your eyes and see the glory of god you're like how could you come up with a, any kind of a silly excuse other than almighty god painted that morning portrait he, he, he painted that for us. You see, that's the same here. God's just like, are you kidding me? I brought the wind. I brought the fire. I brought the tongues. And really, you're going to blame this. What do they blame it on? Oh, you must have been drinking too much uh, new wine, right? Really? That, that, that's what you're going to give as an account to that? How sad is that? An interpretation by, by voting. How many of you have come across somebody that's had too much wine and they're speaking fluent languages other than their own? <laughs> like, I, I've heard some other languages, but not something that's coherent. And so, and so here, all of a sudden, these men, these men are, are somewhere amazed, some with silly excuses. You see, there's always that person that tries to kind of make light of serious life issues, it seems. Regardless, we're going to see next week how the remainder of the crowd responds after literally the first sermon preached in the church, the New Covenant Church, is next week, and we're excited to see that. But before we wrap up, I was trying to think through how do we respond to this. And I was trying to think, you know, like, is this like some kind of a, a time for a challenge? Do I ask him, what are you doing to make him feel at home in, 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 your, in your life? What junk do you need to clean out of your closet to make room for him? What room is still locked? I don't know. Maybe those are, are, are questions that you could wrestle through. But I would suggest what they did at Pentecost 
is they took time to celebrate with the first fruits. They, they took a moment to say, you know what, we're going to just give him an offering of praise. So I thought we could maybe follow suit with that. And the worship team is going to come up in a moment. But I wanted to just give us a couple moments of quiet prayer. This isn't a time of confession. This is literally a chance for us to say thank you. Thank you, God for taking the initiative while we were sitting, while, while you pursued us in such a drastic way, while you weren't content, God, with just dwelling amongst us, you chose to come in and set up camp inside of us. That, I would suggest, is worth praise. So let's take a couple moments just of, of quiet where you're just going before the Lord and just celebrating this amazing gift that he's given. I'll be quiet as the worship team's coming up and I'll pray at the conclusion. God, we celebrate this morning your pursuit of connection with us. I love that you wanted more than just a casual relationship. You wanted to be intertwined in every aspect of our lives. I love that we'd live in alignment with that truth, God. That we enjoy all the benefits that come from you choosing to dwell in your people, God. For you teach us, help us to better understand what that looks like, how to enjoy all the benefits that that brings, God. You're so good. We love you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's name, 